clinical medicine needs to kind of diversify what how it thinks disease is experienced because the way that it currently does is it's not it's not that effective Welcome to a new podcast mini-series from Centric Lab on the role of information, decolonization, and informed consent in the healthcare industry in COVID-19. Over the three episodes, Lab Director Araceli Camargo talks with three brilliant medics from University College London. They break down what is a vaccine, how do the different ones work, the importance of decolonizing the West view on medicine and care, and the need for the healthcare and medical profession to change its often supremacist approach to knowledge. A great takeaway from this series for me, as I listened to it and I edited, was that communication is everything. And whilst innovation in the healthcare industry and technology is all the rage, greater investment in the so-called soft skills of healthcare will lead to greater population health outcomes. This series was made possible by our Patreon supporters, to whom we're very grateful. Our patrons support independent research for the people, free from prejudice and politics about place and health. If you like this show and believe in supporting work like it, please head over to patreon.com forward slash centriclab and donate whatever you can. In return, your donations provide you access to the Urban Health Council's reports, studies, events, and more. The links are in the show notes. Now over to Arish Handy for the show, where this episode focuses on the role of informed consent. Okie doke. So um, let's go into informed consent. So we have peppered it across the conversation. Let's see if we can create some principles of informed consent in terms of what should it look like. Um, For example, one that has come as a through line is the idea of proper communication in the way that people can intake that information. So by that, I mean... If I was communicating to a child as with using adult frameworks or adult speech may not be the most effective for that child to understand what I'm saying. And then thus I cannot blame the child for not understanding me. The onus is on me for not being able to communicate correctly to that child. So in that vein, are there, are there certain principles that you guys have in mind of how do you give informed consent Maybe before we start, Selena, can you walk us through the definition of informed consent? And then from there, we'll, we'll state any principles that come to mind. For this, I uh, went to the, uh, the NHS um, UK website and the main principles are um, for, so in, in, for informed consent. Um, first of all, it has to be, um, so the basis of it is that back in the day, uh, medicine was quite paternalistic. Um, people didn't really think about what you call it what uh, patients wanted and the doctor said, oh, um, do this. And the patient just did it. And they felt they had no control of their health. So that's the basis of why we need it. But what, so the principles of informed consent is that um, the, so the decision must be voluntary by the, um, by the patient and it must, um, the patient, uh, the patient must have capacity and um, it must, uh, so informed is quite a, is a, it's a difficult thing to explain, but the, uh, the doctor must give all the information they can uh, about the treatment, their risks and benefits, um, other treatments that are available, um, and what what kind of risks of what happens when you don't have a treatment. Um, and so, and, and putting framing this in a way that the patient understands it, and that is the the issue with it is how 
do we make, uh, not make, um, how do we engage with patients to um, see what, 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 first, what is their background in what you call it, science? There's obviously going to be hundreds of, like, you know, a large proportion of society that doesn't have a scientific background, and that's fine. And that's not something we should look down upon um, for, uh, upon patients for. Um, it's, uh, it's just it's something that I think a doctor once told me when you first um, see a patient is what's the first question you should ask. She uh, and the patient uh, and the doctor told me instead instead of saying hi, my name is this and this. So oh, um, or we can say hi rather. What first you should introduce yourself. But um, what is your occupation? And, and your occupation is something that's really a big part of your life, but it also allows you to gauge what is the language that you should be using to communicate certain concepts? What analogies can you draw from their work and my work to, to link them together? And I think that really helps with, certain under, um, with understanding certain things. Um, no, really good examples there, Selena. So the jaw, so the at the crooks of the principle of informed consent is that a person has enough and of the correct information, and they have the comprehension of that information to then be able to make a decision. Um, yes, is that? Would you say that that summarizes it? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so now let's 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 start opening it up to principles. That example that you gave of asking a person's occupation is perfect um, in terms of ensuring that that person, yeah, gets the information in a way that they are used to receiving information. So, Miriam, do you want to kick us off with a couple of comments and or a principle of informed consent? Yeah, I just wanted to add to what Selena said. Uh, informed consent is taught very uh, quite formally, and it's quite established in the curriculum, uh, at least the, in within the British medical curriculum. So it's not uh, like a. Although we can debate about what it means uh, philosophically outside of it, there there are sort of explicit examination requirements. Uh, within the British medical curriculum and the way that medicine is taught in the UK. Uh, and there is an expectation that students uh, at least, uh, at least, you know, principally understand informed consent and the way that informed consent has been standardized, at least for the way that I've been taught it, is through three core elements, essentially. So them being capacity, non-coercion and information, which I think Selena kind of mentioned. But it just kind of means that uh, if you have capacity, this is usually assumed, and I kind of disagree with this anyway, but that's a different discussion for a different time. It's assumed that anyone aged 16 or above has capacity, uh, unless proven otherwise, and, and that that would be, you know, uh, that in itself arguably is quite an exclusive uh, set of requirements because one, it, it's, it's slightly ageist in some ways. Um, two, if you have... Um, if you have a mental condition that may allow you to operate completely fine in this particular conversation, then might have you labeled as in not having capacity and therefore not being able to actually, um, you know, consent for yourself, regardless of, of, of how this mental illness may affect you differently in different situations. Um, 
And that's just a byproduct of needing to kind of standardize these things. Uh, the second thing, again, known coercion, this comes from a lot of uh, historical case studies of people kind of wanting blood transfusions, for example, and then their families kind of uh, preventing them from being able to get them because of religious reasons or things like abortion, for example. So this was kind of implement introduced to stop uh, sort of family or sort of uh, other people having a say in the choices that you make. So if it's assumed that you're refusing a treatment because of somebody else or you're taking it because of somebody else, um, then that isn't deemed to be informed consent and therefore not valid consent, um, which is an important point because especially in end of life care, I know we've kind of perpetuated a particular dialogue about doctors always wanting to give you medicine, always wanting to give you drugs. That's not always the case. Sometimes you're just given a bunch of options and you're made to choose and not all of those are sort of interventional kind of procedures. Um, so it's sometimes actually you're not you're not being forced to take anything or not take anything. So that's where non-coercion comes from. And then information, which is probably what we would be discussing most in this context, is uh, what is the type of information that is being conveyed? And I actually disagree with the what is your occupation uh, question, politely, obviously, because um, I think I feel uncomfortable with it because it would make me if I was for example if I finish my medical training and I'm a doctor and I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody and I, I don't know I'm already trying to fight all of these biases that I've that have been socialized in me through my teaching or through my existence in a particular uh, academic institution and then on top of that it's like I feel like I'm seeking out uh something that it's like an easy facilitator of the conversation um, or an easy way to filter. Um, and I think it it might be a practical thing just in terms of, you know, these GP appointments are often 10, 15 minutes long. So do you really have the time to have a whole kind of very nice conversation? Sometimes it's just about the practical reality of doing the work. But at the same time, I think there needs to be a balance between that and being flexible with the way that you can have conversations with people, but also not framing this as a one-way delivery of information. So recently I've been working at a vaccination center and one thing that has really worked for me to do is to start by asking people how they're feeling and often they will start talking about what is concerning them because you know, we're in a vaccine center, they they assume that I'm asking them about, you know, how, how they're feeling about the vaccine or how they're feeling. So I don't feel like it's totally always necessary to uh, streamline the conversation from the beginning. And I think it's important to start with the person who's who's visited you and start with what they have to say first, even though I understand that there's some practical realities and of, of doing sort of timed consultations um yeah and I, I think starting it off with the principle that like questions work both ways and information is delivered both ways not unilaterally um helps helps the conversation so I I don't know I'm not a big fan of like asking people what they do because I just I just don't see it as 
enough of a variable that would change how I should speak to somebody. I feel like you should, there should be a level of flexibility, but there should also be a level of um, being true to the way that you converse with people and keeping that quite consistent, not necessarily in the content of what you're saying, but in the way that you're saying and in your capacity to adapt conversations and make them understandable for people. Uh, Selena, do you want to say something? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't want you to like miss, uh, as in, yeah, I completely agree with everything you've ever said. Like it, you made really good points. But um, just to make sure that uh, this doctor that I'm trying to uh, speak on behalf of isn't misunderstood. So I think the reason, so first of all, you do obviously the, the normal introduction but the reason for asking it is actually to establish a connection between you it's not to um, change how you speak to anyone because as a profession um, medicine is known for having really stringent ethical principles and that is to be unbiased and to not uh, to be objective of course that's really hard to put into practice but the reason for asking occupation is because a lot of my work a lot of my thought processes are based on everything I've learned from medicine from science from everything I do in in daily practice and um that's the same for anyone who does their own jobs you know and so and so the, the reason you ask is because you're trying to get the the patient to be comfortable with you is to try to elicit, um, elicit some information about them which maybe help that you can have a little quick joke about whatever profession they're in or like that kind of thing is is to make them easy about either their beliefs or whether I think it's not you're not assuming anything from the occupation it's more of a stepping stone for them to be able to talk to you about anything in a comfortable setting and in certain clinics you you really do need to establish a connection and and that is the point of asking um asking a question which um can help establish a connection because um you know, as I said, a job is such a big part of your life. And I, I think that's why I think it's, it's quite a good question. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Selena. Um, uh, Manasmini, um, do you want to go and if you want to add to any of this, but also if you want to add in terms of, from your perspective, what would be a principle of informed consent? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've been loving this discussion. Um, but um, just to go on a different um, principle, I think, again, very closely related to Miriam's point about um, bilateral communication, I think one of the main things that needs to be kept in mind about informed consent is um, honesty. If a patient asks you a question, uh, it is important to be truthful in your answer, not just factually, but if there's something you are unsure of, or if there's something you you want to do more research on, or if there's something there that there are contentions about, or there's debate about, um, important to be honest and relate those informations as well, instead of you know shutting down queries or you know in a in a bit. I, I understand it's important to reassure people that certain things are not as dangerous as they 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 may be uh, they they seem or um or and to sh shoot down sensationalist ideas but um at the same time it's i think it's important to admit when something is unclear and um but at the same time provide your reasoning your evidence 
for thinking a certain way or for why this certain medicine or um, treatment or procedure is being suggested. Yeah, so ultimately being honest in your conversations and understanding that just because, you know, someone has questions uh, and you need to reassure them doesn't mean you have to omit certain uh, parts of the discussion. And thank you very much to our three brilliant medics on these conversations. And if you've liked what you've heard and want to support more conversations like it, please head over to patreon.com forward slash centric lab.